Well, the last few weeks, we've been talking about the law and how we cannot live up to the law of God. Uh, There's nothing that we can do to get us to heaven on our own. We can't push, we can't pry, we can't can't use any of the old tools of religion or or rituals uh, or any manual to help us out. If all we have is the Old Testament, then we, we can't make it. We won't make it. Rescue comes from the Lord himself through faith. The cross of Christ is what we rely on. The Father lifts us into freedom because of what Christ did on the cross. Freedom lifts us into Christ. John 8.36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Think of what the Lord has lifted you out of in this life. Think of the challenges that you've gone through throughout life from, from a young age until, you know, through college age and now as an adult for many of you. Think of the times that, that you've been spiritually or emotionally or physically lost, unable to move, unable to fully live in Christ. And Christ has come along and lifted you out of that situation. This is the message of Galatians. Do not go back to your old ways. Do not go back to your old living. Don't go back to your old self. There is only destruction when you go backwards. Because God has delivered us. Why would we want to go back? The message of Galatians is a message of liberation. We have lost our way. And God commences a rescue operation. Adam and Eve literally crashed and burned. And God chooses Abraham to begin the restoration process. He had a desire to defeat death and defeat sin and to begin a new unbroken community out of all nations. In this process, Abraham's descendants were given the law and the covenant. They were supposed to be the beacon of light. They were supposed to invite others into the family of God. They were supposed to be the ones that that, uh, people saw and said, hey, I, I want what they have. But they failed miserably in that endeavor. They couldn't keep the covenant or the law themselves. This led to exile for them. And they suffered because they couldn't keep the law. The curse was on them. And then Jesus comes into the picture. He brings humanity back into relationship with the Father. And that relationship is restored. He is the seed of Abraham that frees us from sin and death. Have you noticed there are two types of people around us? People who infuse God into our lives and then people who confuse the spiritual lives and and hurt and pull us away from God. There are two types. One is a trust type of person, trust people. And then the, the other type are the people who drag us away from godly things. Trust people are faith driven people. They're not perfect in their ways and their manners and everything else, but they always look to Jesus when dealing with situations. They are cross-centered. They rely on God's work and not their own. They seek relationships that bring freedom. They understand grace because they live it, they need it, and therefore they receive it, and then they give it, and then they rest in it. You know, the draggers, the ones that drag us away, they're work-driven, rules-driven, self-centered. They rely on their own efforts. They seek God through religion and rigidity. They like to, to confine and confuse. They lead away from God in many ways when they think they are godly. 
They live by guilt and shame and and they love to shame other people. They have a different Jesus where you have to work your way to heaven. If you ask them if they're going to heaven, they would say, well, we're really not sure. We're We're trying to gain God's favor through our actions. We have plenty of those who say that we need to confess. I I agree with that. But I need to confess my sin to to my God. I don't need to go to somebody else first. I need to go straight to the source of forgiveness. You know, many of us want something more in life. We want to get close to the Lord. It's not until we realize that we need a Savior that something really changes in our life. Our answer is a question of, Are you going to heaven? You know, some people would say, I hope so, because I'm a good person. Being good can only get you so far, though. Because there is always someone better than us. When comparing yourself to, to, to others, uh, you know, you start to think, uh, you know, who do I compare myself when I, when, I'm going, when I decide whether I'm good enough to go to heaven or not from this perspective? The serial killer, of course. The really bad in our society. Well, at least I'm not Hitler, you know. We usually don't have Mother Teresa on our list, do we? We don't have somebody who, who you know, puts their whole life into helping others and those that are downtrodden. And we certainly don't have the perfect Lord on our list. It's like my four-year-old. Sometimes he likes to say, I am bigger than stronger than you, Daddy. And he starts to kind of push me around. You know, he comes up to my waist and he's just shoving me around and stuff. And eventually I pick him up and I start twirling him around. I'll throw him over my shoulder. The whole time he's just laughing and enjoying it. Now that's an innocent comparison. But oftentimes we go to God and and we go, well, I I think I'm bigger than you. I know better than you. But we as humans, when it comes to God, we cannot compare ourselves to his perfect life. We cannot give ourselves too much credit for being there, you know, being good. There are two trees in the Garden of Eden. And oftentimes we forget about the, the second one. The first one is the tree of life. Or we forget about that one and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But there's two types of fruit on that. And when we say we're a good person, what we're doing is plucking the fruit of the, you know, the, fruit of the tree of, the, of knowledge of good and evil. And, and we're picking the good fruit. But I forget the tree also has the other fruit, the, the evil fruit. And it shares the same root system. It's all performance based. Low-hanging fruit of trying to do good things for God, and it doesn't quite get you there. Now, there's also another tree, the tree of life. It is guarded. You can't touch that tree. You couldn't grab it on your own. Only the master gardener can come in, pull a piece of fruit off of that, and give it to you. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is a bitter fruit. It has worms in it. The fruit from the tree of of life is ripe and delicious. In Galatians 3.6, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith in the children of Abraham, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Why did Paul say, 
Think about Abraham. It was because he was a trust person. He was driven by faith to an unseen God. We know this because it says he was considered righteous because of his faith, not because he was religious. God made a covenant promise with Abraham. Back in Genesis 15, Abraham walks off a battlefield and his nephew Lot, the scriptures say, was a man who walks by sight, not by faith. Lot had seen the well-watered valley near Sodom, and he liked what he saw there. And Abraham's, uh, uh, you know, shepherds and Lot's shepherds, they weren't getting along because they were all going after the same resources for, for their, their flocks. So Abraham came to, to Lot and said, look, I don't want us fighting. We're, we're family. You, whichever way you go, I will go the opposite way. So Lot looked around and said, man, that, that looks great over there. He was looking, but, you know, he was looking with his eyes and saying, that's what I want. Abraham went a different direction. He went one, a direction of faith. And when warfare broke out, Lot got caught up in it all. And Abraham went and rescued his son in the battle of kings. Abraham actually helped the king of Sodom defeat these attackers. And in Genesis 15:1, it says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. This is how I know Abraham was a trust person. He trusts God and he rejects the spoils of war. He didn't take anything that Sodom offered and they offered him a lot because of what he did. This is the point that every gift... That, that Sodom offers, it spoils. Sodom represented the underbelly of the world, and Abraham rejects the rewards from this world and pursues the promise of God. God trusts Abraham, and Abraham trusts God. Faithful and little will result in more, we are told. Abraham is a trust person because he came out of the land of what I like to call in between. He came out of Ur and then he was called to go to Canaan in the promised land, but he stopped short in Haran where, you know, his father, you know, he lived with his father for many years until his father passed away and then he proceeds to go to Canaan. And here's here's what I'm thinking. He goes to the land of in between. He stops and gets really comfortable in the middle ground. The word the word tells us that God talked to Abraham often. Yet during this time in Haran, God didn't really talk to him that much until he reminded him, hey, remember our other conversations I asked you to go to Canaan? You know, it makes me wonder why sometimes God doesn't, uh, doesn't talk to us or, or God may seem distant or silent. And we have to ask ourselves the question, are we in the land of in-between? Have I not taken the steps of, of listening to the last thing God told me to do? Sometimes it's just that. We have to get back and say, what was the last thing he told me to do? Sometimes, you know, it's just that. And we have to, uh, we have to go back to that last thing and ask, did I do it? God wants us to be obedient. And instead, I might have stopped in Haran. I might have stopped to, to the land of in between. Now, Abraham is, is also a trust person because he allows God to be a shield. God said, I am your shield. What he meant by this is, I'm your safety, I'm your security, I'm your rest, I'm your victory. No weapon formed against us will prosper. No weapon can, can pierce the shield that God has placed before us. Even the weakest believer is covered. You know, back in that time, the, the shields had this pitch on them. 
and they would use flaming arrows as they fought, and the arrows would, would hit the shield and would stick there, but the pitch would actually extinguish the flame. See, you thought this only happened during Robin Hood times, but it was back in Abraham's times that stuff was going on too. Abraham was a trust man because God was his reward. God says, I am your inheritance. Abraham gave, or God gave Abraham his sonship. He gave him an inheritance and he gives him righteousness. See, the beauty of the story is that Abraham and Sarah are so advanced in age. There's no way they could have done this on their own. But from death comes resurrection. That's God's motto. He did this for Abraham and and Sarah. Their bodies were beyond childbearing years. And God resurrected them to the point of being able to have kids. See, our sin is beyond resurrection for righteousness. But through Christ's actions on the cross and his resurrection, we are resurrected into righteousness. God's promises are true. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sin. But God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. Abraham also learned to trust God and his timing. In Philippians 1.6 it says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, this reminds me of the prodigal son. When the boy leaves and squanders his whole inheritance, the other boy stays. But, but the other boy becomes very rigid. He is not happy with the prodigal son, his brother, when he returns. But the father is just ecstatic. The father is like the son of mine who is dead is now alive. This is the principle of resurrection. The first thing he does is, is put a robe on the boy. And then he gives him a ring because the father knows that the kid cannot sit at the table you know, with him in these old raggedy rags that he has, in the stench, the old life, with the old clothes. He says, here, clean up. Here's my robe. you got new clothes now. And when we come back to the Father through faith, the Father runs and greets us. He is exchanging the rags and puts a robe of righteousness on. It can only come from the Father. We need to become more comfortable with wearing the robes of righteousness that the Father has given us because it was at his cost. It was at his price. It was at his time in the response to our repentance as we were rescued by God. See, the world is really looking for us or to us for answers. And do we still think, you know, the question is, do we still stink like the world? Do we still talk like the world? Do we still act like the world? If we still talk and stink and act like the world and do do everything the world does, and then we say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, what does that tell the world? If we do, they say we're no different. But if we wear the robes of of, uh, the Father has given us, they see us differently. And they say, I want that. And it brings them toward the light. In Genesis 15, where the covenant promise took place, Abraham's wife wasn't really sure. She's like, honey, how do you truly know? I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm pretty old here. 
And, and you know, God did this whole covenant arrangement where, where, you know, back that time they would make this unbreakable covenant. In other words, they would cut an animal in half. It was called a blood covenant. And there's a serious agreement. If it's broken, may this happen to me. In other words, may I be cut into pieces. And they would walk through the pieces. But God didn't make Abram walk through the peace, just like he doesn't make us walk through the pieces. Only God walks through because he knows that we can't keep it. But he chooses to keep his side anyway. He made a covenant about the promise. God's promises are beautiful in the scriptures. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Hundreds of promises. If you need to be lifted up now, Man, use this time, go through the Bible, and look at the promises of God. How can we know they're true? Because we, keep, because we keep up our end of the bargain? No. We can't keep up our end. We know because he keeps up his end of the bargain. Again and again and over and over and over. He keeps his promise. And we are the benefactor. You see, we think that God is on our timing, on our clock. But God's timing is so different than ours. He's continually working. He doesn't need sleep like us. He even works in our sleep. God put Adam to sleep, and he brought forth Eve. Jacob sleeps and dreams of a stairway to heaven. Joseph sleeps and learns to interpret other people's dreams. And, and Daniel sleeps and interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Samuel falls asleep. And is called to be a prophet. Solomon falls asleep and is given wisdom beyond all his years. Uh, Jonah falls asleep and God delivers the, the shipmates from Jonah. Joseph falls asleep and God assures Joseph that Mary is to be his wife. Jesus sleeps and, and wakes up and calms the storm. Jesus' disciples sleep while Jesus agonizes in Gethsemane as he prepares to deliver the world. Peter sleeps and God tells him, do not consider anyone or anything unclean. And then Peter reaches out to the Gentiles. You and I, there are times when God can speak to us at night if we listen. I love the fact that Abraham doesn't take credit for any of it. That is a trust person. He lived in faith. He rejected the world's ways of living. Now, what about the other side of things? Well, let's look at Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For all who rely on the words of the law are under the curse. As it is written, cursed is, is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law, uh, the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteousness will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole or a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Galatians tells us that if we rely on the law, we're cursed. We're trapped in that process. This is very Old Testament. In fact, Deuteronomy 27 26 says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of the law by carrying them out. 
The law, you know, law keeping is never good because it's never done. There's always more laws. You can never keep enough, never enough. The more you discover about the law, the more you realize you haven't done enough. Then you're just falling short again and again and again. And it leads to the comparison that we talked about earlier. At least I'm better than them. And then it leads to burnout. It leads to, you know, really leads to the desert. The ironic thing is that you can act like a rebellious son. Or you can act like the religious rigid son that is upset when the other uh, brother returns. Both of them fall short. See, because once you commit to legalism, you become stuck right there. See, what makes us think that we can do it or uh, do this ourselves when, when all the others have gone before us couldn't? All the way back to Adam and Eve. One piece of fruit. That's all it took. All they had to leave alone was that one piece of fruit. They couldn't handle it. We were going along and all of a sudden we're off course. Have you ever made a wrong turn? I can remember a, a time that uh, a friend of mine, uh, I, I used to work for William Jessup University, and, and uh, it is uh, now called, uh, or it used to be San Jose Christian College, now it's William Jessup University. And uh, I took a, a friend of mine who worked for me at the college to an A's game. He, he was a big baseball fan. He loved the A's. And so we went to the A's fan, and we were enjoying ourselves and had great seats and all that. And, and at one point, we'd get up and, and, and you know, we'd take a break. We'd go get some food, or we go to the bathroom. We was planning on getting some food, and we go to the bathroom, and, and, and he gets done first, walks out, and then I turn around, wash my hands, and I walk out, and he's nowhere to be seen. Where did Caleb go? I, I don't know. So I'm, you know, I, I'm thinking, well, he must have gotten some food and went back to the seat. So I go get some food and I go back to my seat and I sit down and he's not there. I don't know where he went. So, you know, time goes by, time goes by and he finally comes back and he has a little bit of food and he sits down. And then we just enjoy the rest of the game and then finally he pipes up and he goes, do you know where I went? I said, no. He goes, well, there was a, there was a guy that had the same type of jacket as you did. And, and I wasn't paying attention. I was washing my hands and, and I saw the jacket moving out. And so I just followed. And he goes, we were going the wrong direction from where our seats were. But I figured, well, maybe you had better seats or had something else in, in mind and all that. So we went around the stadium and, and finally went down to his seats. And, and he scooted in the rows and I was right behind him. And he sits down and I sits down. And finally the guy looks at me like, dude, what, what are you doing following me? Who are you? What's going on? You know? And he goes, I just looked at him and said, hi. He goes, I got up and came back here. I mean, we were just dying laughing about this. He had made a wrong turn. He thought he had made the right turn. He was sure he was following me. It seemed like it was right, but it was wrong. It seems like we're only one turn away sometimes from a bad direction in our lives sometimes. That long and narrow road that we maybe shouldn't be on. That is the point of Galatians here. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. See, the law is actually pretty good. It gives us direction. It gives us parameters. And it helps us understand. But the hard part is when it shines down deep into our souls. When we see the dirt, the dust, the decay, the debris, but, but the law, it doesn't remove any of that. It just points it out, just puts a spotlight on it. 
The Spirit of God is what removes it when God shows up and does what only God can do. There are times when we get frustrated with God. Life isn't working out the way it's supposed to. Why is this happening now? Many of us are asking right now with the shutdown, why now? Why me? Things were going so good. Economy was roaring and and then this happens. But we need to look for God and look for God's hope. You know, a friend of mine who was driving his car, he was going to visit some other churches in the Bay Area that, uh, where I, I worked at a church up there and, uh, at one point. And he was going to visit the other churches that were affiliated with our church. And he was on this windy road and, and great weather up in the Bay Area outside of San Francisco and Oakland. And he rolls down his window of his car and he's going about 40 miles per hour. And about halfway through his trip, a spider web is caught just right in the wind. And it comes through and it just hits his head, you know, right in his face. And he, you know, it blows right through the window and, and he's just like batting it off and trying to get it off. And he thinks he has it off and he, he calms down and he's, you know, didn't run off the road. He's still on the, on the road. And, and then he thinks, but what if there's a spider on the whip? And then he really starts batting his head and all that stuff and, and, you know, hitting his upper body just, just in case. Right then a small biter bites him right below his left eye. Like right in here. And he finds a spider and he squishes it and he throws it out the window. Now, luckily, he had some Benadryl in his car because he has some food allergies, you know. So he pulls over at a spot and he's thinking, man, this is just terrible. Why me? Why now? Right, right here in my face. I'm fixing to go into this meeting. <clears throat> so he finally makes it through the meeting and, and, you know, he's feeling okay. And they all go eat Mexican food. While eating, he grabs a chip. And he dips it in what he thought was salsa, but it happens to be mole. And, and he feels his throat, you know, starting to, to tighten just a little bit. So he calls over the waiter and asks, salsa? And he goes, no, mole, you know, made with peanuts. And he goes, but I'm allergic to peanuts. So, I mean, the ambulance is called. They get there pretty quick. They arrive and give him medicine. And, and the ambulance people, they're like, man, you, you're really lucky. And he said, lucky? Let me tell you what happened earlier. And they all laughed about it. But wouldn't you know it, the medicine he took earlier because of the spider bite on his eye or below his eye prevented his neck from closing up too much. So he was earlier screaming about, you know, in the car about the spider thinking, you know, thinking, why now? Why is this? Lord, what? come on. But at least I have some medicine. But come on, how could that have happened? Why me? And it ends up saving his life. They said if he hadn't taken that medicine earlier, he probably would have gone, you know, his throat probably would have closed up. That is a God thing. When we began to get frustrated about God, why did that spider happen? Now, you know, now are, are things not working out uh, for me right now? I don't know why uh, God, you know, God may send a re- remedy for, for the now that we don't think is a remedy. That may be, you know, have a greater impact, a, a bigger purpose in the future. We have to trust God. He, he is several steps in front of us. In fact, sometimes he's way ahead of us. Where in your life right now? Do you need to recognize that God is working when you may not even realize it? I think of the book of Esther. God allowing her to be forcibly put into a beauty pageant ends up becoming the queen of Persia to save the Jews from certain annihilation. Or Joseph 
being thrown into the well and sold into slavery and then then gets back to to a good place only to be thrown into jail again to eventually end up being in charge of Egypt and saving the Jews and Egypt from starvation. Our Ruth loses her husband and has lost hope as we talked about last week. You know, the mother-in-law is is now bitter and to end up gleaning in a field of a godly man who saves both her and the mother-in-law. Over and over again, we see God place people in what seems like impossible positions where they don't even see God at work at all. And God uses them to do this great work for him. We need to stop resisting and complaining so much about our lives. I love it when you ask somebody, how's it going? And they say, well, I can't complain. The funny thing is they could complain, but they're choosing not to. That's what's important. See, worldly thinking, worry, fear, confusion enters our minds and takes us away from God. And it messes up our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. Where do you need rescue in your life right now? Where do you need the cross of Christ to enter into that picture? Some things we, we look at in our life and we know that God needs to be there. We, we call that sin when we know we're doing something wrong. But there are other areas where we need to ask the Lord, are you in the middle of this? Do I need to invite you into the situation? See, the good news is found in verse 13 and 14 of Galatians 3. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The same blessing that is found in Abraham is found in us, and through faith we receive it by the Holy Spirit. Paul says it different, uh, a different way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, God made him who had no sin... To be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. Jesus stood in our place so we could be in his place. He took the eternal curse. The curse that wants to, to, to ruin our lives. The, the curse that, that wants to drag us down and away from God. The curse that was nailed to the cross. Jesus took the curse so we didn't have to. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes we are healed. The Hebrew word for stripes is an interesting word. It is the word blueness. Jesus was beaten and battered so much for us that his body literally become one large bruise. His blueness, we were, by his blueness, we were healed. Jesus became blue and his blood poured out red to wash us white as snow. Galatians says the spirit of God is upon us. We no longer live under the curse. We are white as snow. So we should start looking like that. And as we figure that out, the what, the why, the how of our life, and we know that God is in control, and no matter what happens, we can choose with the help of the Holy Spirit to live our life for Him with an amazing godly attitude, no matter what happens to us or around us. You know, the coaches will always say, attitude is everything. And that is so true for a Christian. Attitude shows that we trust in our Lord and Savior. Attitude shows that that we rely on something greater than us. And that attitude comes through in trust, like Abraham. 
Abraham trusted God, that God was in control. God knew what was going to happen. He went to God and said, I don't understand. And he went to God and questioned God. But he didn't go to everybody else and go, well, I don't know why I'm following this God. No. He did what God asked him to do. Sometimes it took a little while. That's okay. But he continued toward God. And that's what matters. The attitude that God is there for me. And that I need him more and more in my life. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much to, for today. We, we thank you that, uh, that uh, during the midst of all this, this uh, pandemic, in the midst of all this uh, negative news and, and seeing how bad it is out there sometimes, that, that you are in control. We can rely on that. We pray for those that are, that are having a hard time financially that you provide for them. If there's something we can do, Lord, we, we ask that you put it upon their heart to ask. Lord, I, I pray for those that are, that, that are out there that are they're feeling isolated, that you would be there with them. That you would have other members of our church call them and, and say hello and, and just uplift and encourage their spirits. But most of all, Lord, I pray that we, we look to you for everything in this life. That you teach us, slowly but surely, how to become more like Christ. Because he took my sin, I don't have to worry about my sin. I don't have to work to get to you, Lord. I just have to accept the grace. And when I accept it, I just need to let that overflow onto everybody else that I meet. And they will want some of that grace. May we be used by you, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he watch over you during this time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.